Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I hear passages like the one we heard today in our gospel reading, particularly passages where Jesus' disciples just don't seem to get it, I usually have two conflicting or competing thoughts. Now, on one hand, I am amazed at how dense the disciples can truly be sometimes. I mean, all along in his ministry, Jesus has been showing them who he is and what he has come to do as the Messiah and the Savior. And Jesus had just finished telling them about what was going to happen to him when they reached Jerusalem, that he would suffer and die and be raised again. But not only did the disciples not understand what Jesus had just told them, but they were too afraid to even ask him about what it meant. And what's more, then this is the the moment, this is the, the time that they decide to have a conversation as they're traveling on the road, an argument really, amongst themselves about who is the greatest. It seems so childish, it seems so immature, it's stunningly dense. Now, at the very least, the disciples had enough sense to stay silent when Jesus asked them what they were talking about. So that's one thought. But on the other hand, the other thought that I have when I think about them this way is that I remember, I remember that these disciples are extremely relatable to me. In fact, it's all too easy to see myself reflected in their words and thoughts and actions. After all, they had everything spelled out for them. Jesus never shied away from answering their questions and explaining things to them. And the same is true for us. And yet they still stumbled. And how often do I do exactly the same thing? After all, I hear Jesus' words like the words we hear today about who is the greatest and serving the least, about how I am to serve and to receive others in his kingdom, and yet at times I still remain dense, and it doesn't sink in with me. And so if I end up judging the disciples too harshly, well, then I'm just making the same mistake that they were making. I am participating in that conversation that they were having along the road, thinking that I am now greater than them. And it's very clear that I'm not. And perhaps you feel the same way. After all, we still live in this world that loves to stratify people. Now, perhaps some of the standards of measurement have changed a little since their day, but our world still functions the same. We are constantly measuring who is the greatest and who is the least among us. Whether it's a news report about the, who has the highest net worth in the world, or what political force has the greatest influence in government, or who is the most famous and on the front pages of all the tabloid newspapers in our culture today. Wealth and power and fame. Well, those things have been around for a long time. But all of those, those are just the public and large-scale examples of what happens every day in our own hearts. 
That because of our sinful nature, we naturally uh, pass judgment and stratify people every time we meet someone, every time we relate with someone or work with someone, even every time we argue with someone. We can't help but approach them and make decisions about them, about what value they have to me. And so we too rank people on a standard of measurement that has creeped into our own hearts. Anytime you make a decision about who deserves your help or your time or your energy or your love, anytime you choose who you're going to serve or not serve, well, it's all based on a standard that helps you make that decision. And that standard is going to be shaped by either one of two things. Either it will be shaped by Jesus and his word and his kingdom, or it will be shaped by the kingdom of this world. We know exactly what this world teaches us. Help those who help you, so that the great get greater and the weak get weaker. Well, that's the trap the disciples fell into. Perhaps they knew that Jesus wasn't going to be with them forever. Maybe they were listening at least a little bit to what Jesus had just shared. So maybe they were making some preemptive plans of who was going to fill his shoes, who would hold the top spot. And Peter and James and John, they probably thought they had the inside track. They were the three, after all, who, who gets invited by Jesus into some special moments, like the one that had just happened in Mark's gospel, up on the mountain where Jesus was transfigured before them. But I'm sure all the rest of the nine thought they had a good chance as well. After all, they were still part of the twelve. They were given the same authority and privileges that the other ones were. And that's when Jesus explains to them that things in his kingdom, well, they don't work the same way as the world works. That in Jesus' kingdom, everything is taken and flipped upside down. That if anyone would be first, Jesus said, he must be last of all and servant of all. And that's when Jesus takes a child, presumably one of the children that was running around them in that house in Capernaum that day, he takes that little child and, and he places him right in the middle of the group. And as Jesus then holds that child close, he's about to teach his disciples about what being great truly means. Now, this requires just a, a moment of explanation first, though, about how they viewed children in that day. Today, we view children and families a little differently, at least in many cases. Today, a lot of our time and energy and money goes into raising children. We think of them very highly, generally speaking. But back then, that wasn't the case. It wasn't that parents didn't love their children. Of course they did. But as a society, they didn't consider children to be worth very much, not valued very much, at least not until they were old enough to contribute something to the family. And so a young child, like the one that Jesus was holding, is at best in their society not considered anything, and at worst considered a difficulty and a drain on family resources until they were old enough to contribute. 
So with that in mind, what we see Jesus doing is entering into the disciples' debate that they were having along the way about who was the greatest. But instead of Jesus now debating who was the greatest, what he does is he puts right into the middle of the group someone that all of them could agree was the very least. And it was this young, small child. And that's when Jesus says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and receives not me, but him who sent me. In other words, Jesus is telling his disciples that in his kingdom, it doesn't work like it works in the world. We don't serve others because they are the best or because they'll help us move up the ladder in life in some way. No, Jesus says that we ought to first serve and receive someone as lowly and as unimportant as this child. Because when we serve that person, not only are we serving them and not only are we serving Jesus, but we are serving the one who sent Jesus. We are serving God the Father. Greatness in this world doesn't mean anything if it isn't used to serve God and to serve our neighbor. In fact, if the disciples thought they were great, and in some ways they actually were, they were part of the 12 who were chosen by Jesus to follow him until the very end. But if they were great in any sense of the world, in any sense of the word, it meant nothing unless their greatness was then used to serve and to receive the very least. That, as Jesus said, the first should become last of all and servant of all. But again, this is so backwards compared to anything that we see or learn in this world. This world will teach us to cut off dead weight in our lives and only focus on the people who who truly matter to us, truly mean something, are truly valuable in our eyes. But it's just the opposite for Jesus. And thanks be to God for that, because if it weren't that way, if Jesus thought we were the dead weight, well, then we wouldn't be here today. Consider for a moment how significant it is that this teaching of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus immediately follows Jesus telling his disciples about what he was about to do. That by telling them that he was going to suffer and die and rise again, Jesus was showing them what it meant to truly serve in his kingdom. And it begins, we see, with Jesus. It begins with the very Son of God, the glorious second person of the Trinity, the one through whom all things were made. It begins with him choosing to humble himself in obedience to his Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. After all, when we're honest about who is truly the least of all, we realize that it's us. We are the poor, miserable sinners. We are the ones who are by nature opposed to God. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus chose to become the very least of all, not only humiliated in, his, in the way that he died in his suffering and death as he hung on the cross, 
but also humbled by taking upon all of our sin upon himself. The sinless one became sin for us. And his father even had to turn away, forsaking his son, because he could not bear to see what his son had become on the cross for our sake. But you see, Jesus did it for you, and he did it for me. He became the very last of all, and the servant of all for us. And that's how it works in his kingdom. That those who are the very least, namely you and me, We are now exalted, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. He chose to love and to serve and receive us. And because of that, we are now God's children. We are adopted into the family of God with Christ as our brother and God as our heavenly father. And that's what Jesus shows his disciples. That's what Jesus shows us today, that we who have received all that Christ has done on our behalf, Oh, we just can't help but then go out and do the same for others. And when we do, when we choose to love and serve and receive the very least in this world, the very lowest on the ladder of life, what we're doing is actually loving and serving and receiving Jesus himself and the one who sent him. Jesus transforms the decisions we make in this life. And so the question is then, who is it in this world that we ought to be serving? Who in the eyes of this world are those who are overlooked or forgotten or considered the very least? Well, there are countless examples, as I'm sure you can imagine, that we can and should see, but let me just mention a few today. What about the elderly, especially those who are confined to a hospital or a nursing home or even their own house? I was so pleased to hear about all those who, through our ministry fair, signed up to help Pastor Tom go on the various visits and the services that he faithfully conducts around Celine. And think about just how important those visits and the bringing of God's word and sharing a prayer with with those who are in that particular situation. But so often those are the people who don't get those things, who don't receive visits, who don't hear God's word, who aren't prayed for. Because it is just too easy to lose sight of those who aren't here in our midst which goes to show just how important our love and our service to them ought to be. What about the very young? Yes, our society values children once they're born, but how about children who aren't born yet? Or how about children who are in need of a foster home or who need adoption or who need adult Christian role models in their lives? If we as Christians are going to call ourselves pro-life, we need to remember that it means being pro-life at all the stages of life, from, from conception and birth all the way until natural death. Sometimes this world just shuffles around people that they don't know what to do with, and we ought to notice those people and see how we might serve them. How about children and young families within the church? Just think for a moment, if you would, in an honest moment, if I may ask, 
what your first thoughts are when you hear a child making noise in the church service. Is your first thought, I'm so glad that we have children in the body of Christ so that they learn the love of our Savior? I would assume so, and I hope so. But we can also be tempted to to think at times, boy, I hope they quiet down so I can hear what's going on. Or don't they know that we have a nursery they could go to? Our attitude at Christ our King toward families in general and children specifically is important as our lives together in the body of Christ. And, And sometimes all it takes is just one harsh look or one unkind word from a member that will discourage a parent from ever wanting to come back to church again. I've had many parents share with me that this one hour of their entire week, this one hour in church, out of their crazy and busy lives the rest of the week, this one hour is the most stressful hour by far. But as a church family, we recognize and we should celebrate that these parents are fulfilling their God-given vocation of bringing their children to church and raising their children in the faith. And we celebrate that they're here because otherwise we realize that this church without children would go away after we're gone. We celebrate at Christ our King that we had 30 children in Sunday school last week when we started Sunday school. We hope that that number grows. We give thanks to God for every person of every age that he has given to us here at Christ our King because every single one is a beloved child of God. As Christians, we never set ourselves up over someone else, assuming that our wants and our preferences are more important than theirs. Instead, we see ourselves as a servant to all. We are willingly coming alongside our fellow Christians from the very young to the very old, and we support and we encourage them so that they too may know the love of Jesus Christ. And just one more word about noise in church. First of all, it never bothers me. I'm pretty used to it at home. But I will also say, I know pastors generally think that our sermons are really important and people should listen to them. But even I will admit that it's worth missing 10 minutes of a sermon on a Sunday if it means you have just gained the opportunity to serve and to support even the very least among us. Now, these are just a few examples of what life looks like in Jesus's kingdom, that the least are actually the greatest. And the first of all are the last of all and the servant of all. Our perspective in life is transformed by the one who has transformed us. And so we see that every single day is filled with opportunities that we are given, conversations and interactions and decisions we get to make. And these are all opportunities that we have to love and to serve and to receive the very least in this world. When we do, the world is telling us that we should only be looking out for ourselves. But because of Jesus... And because he is the one who chose to be last of all and servant of all for us, we are now able to do the same. May others see in us the love that Christ has shared so that they too would know the one who died and rose again 
for them. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.